it again, Hangover Edition. Except we'd be back last week, and we are in fact back. We'll be doing this every week because we think that uh, this is the best way to decompress and to kind of flush everything out of the system before we head in to the next game week. I'm your host, Zach Barry. Joining me, Benjamin Woodhouse, Nicholas Carr. Gentlemen, it was, in my opinion, one of the most fun nights I've ever had watching Ole Miss football. And I put that up there with a lot of wins, and that's saying a lot. A um, couple stats here before I welcome you into the Second Line studio. Ole Miss and Alabama combined. Well, one second. Twitter refreshed on me. This is good. This is good Sunday hangover pod. Um. Okay, here we go. So, Alabama and Ole Miss on Saturday combined for 1,370 yards, the most between SEC teams in conference history. There have only been three games between SEC teams that have more points than tonight's Alabama-Ole Miss game. They each went seven overtimes. (laughs) So, with that... Uh, welcome in. I said this before we started, uh, just full disclosure for the listeners in our pre-show. We're going to start defense because we're, we're, we're going to start bad news and then we're going to end good news because we want to end you on a good note before uh, you get your NFL Sunday started. I know that you guys both had some very strong takes last night, albeit y'all were both very excited, very pleased with the offense, but I want to let y'all, you know, take the proverbial ball and run with it here and and just kind of, you know, get it off your chest. Let everybody know how you're feeling this morning about the defense. If I, if you, with no sugar coating, I think we're terrible at defensive coordinator. Okay. All right. That's go on, I'll start go on. there. Go Nick. Okay. I'll start. I'll just that that is it that my entire my the paper or the title of my thesis is we are terrible at defensive coordinator. <laughs> All right. So a lot of people will say, you know, we just don't have the players. And I and I'm in no way going to stand for the the fact that we do because we are lacking at quality SEC talent, but also quality SEC depth. Uh, especially along the defensive front, but along many positions on the defense. But before the season, we were we were told the linebackers were going to be pretty good. Uh, through through three games, Sam Williams has been probably average at best. The key Henry runs with bricks and issues. Um, the the linebackers have not been great. But I, I, mean, I said this to you guys last night. Anytime you start talking about you know the the worst ever or the most ever. I don't care. It's every game, though. Hey, I don't. I don't care the what coordinators. I mean, I don't care what players you have. That the Bucks has to stop somewhere. When one game you give up the most rushing yards ever, and then the next game you give up the most passing yard. I mean, the most total yards ever in the history of 130 years of college of, of, of football in Ole Miss. It's the worst ever. Now, now maybe in the next seven games we start seeing market improvement by the end of the year. It's a just a below average defense instead of the the second worst in college football history. But I, I saw what happened from 2018 to 2019 uh, when we changed coordinators from, from crime dog to, to Mike McIntyre. And I saw the improvement. We went from a bottom 10 defense to a top 45 defense, which is very good. I mean, a top 45 defense on this team 
and we finished the season eight and two. I promise you that. And we might have been nine and one. We might have beaten Florida. We might have beaten Alabama. We we might have. I mean, really, because the offense is, and we'll get. We're going to get there. The offense is like like nothing I've ever seen before. But the defense. Yeah, I saw we, we didn't change a ton of players from 18 to 19. Yeah, we had Coatney and we had Benito Jones, and we lost those guys from this year. But anytime you go from top 40 back down to the very bottom of the barrel, I'm talking last night, it, obviously, you know, this is not going to happen. But if, if the season ended right now with 600 yards of average offense given up, it'd be the second worst in college football history behind 2018 uh, UConn. And the 2018 UConn team was so bad. In the following offseason, they contemplated going back to FCS, like de facto shutting the program down. And so, you know, if, if the buck has to stop somewhere, the players aren't getting paid. And I, I mean, like I said, maybe things are going to change in the next seven games. But I listened to Kiffin last night on the post game, and he said he wanted to take a fan vote about what to do on defense because he was sure, sure the hell out of ideas. Sure okay. as hell out of ideas. So I'll go now that, like, I'm, I'm calmed down from – my exaggeration that we're quote <laughs> terrible a defensive coordinator. Um, uh, I don't. I don't think that DJ Durkin is a is a bad football coach, and I don't think that Chris Partridge is a bad football coach. That's me exaggerating the fa- you know the fan coming out at me. That said, you cannot tell me that Ole Miss it, Alabama would not put up 750 yards of offense on the Citadel. And you, you, they wouldn't put it up on Jacksonville State or or Texas San Antonio or yeah. name your directional FCS program that. And you cannot tell me that Ole Miss is recruiting. Ole Miss's defense is Jacksonville State, like athletically. I think Lakey Henry was a four star. I think. Um, um, Sam Williams was a four star. I mean, where have those where have our guys been? And and I'm not saying I'm not blaming. I never blame a player. That's not me calling out Lakia Henry. I I think that because those guys, Sam Williams was good in our defense last year. Yeah, very good. So it's just like the, an offense where Lane Kiffin or Jeff Levy or both have an uncanny ability of putting their players in positions to succeed their best players. I mean, Lane Kiffin is unbelievable at getting Elijah Moore open. Even when teams are bracket coveraging and double, and I know he's been doing his thing for a long time, but like he's doing it now. I mean, he just finds a way to get those guys in successful positions. And on defense where Sam Williams literally wrecked last year, he I mean, he he made he sacked the guy last night, and that's the first play I remember him really making this season. Yeah. So, and I know we've played Florida and Alabama in the first three games, and we've we've had both of them pretty much. I mean, I talked about this on the Hangover Edition after the Florida game. We have Florida on the ropes too. The, the only thing that the difference in last night and the Saturday when we played Florida is going into or right before halftime instead of us being tied in Alabama scoring Alabama scored to tie it before coming out in the second half so otherwise Alabama goes up two scores then and maybe we kind of play from behind like we did against Florida but otherwise Ole Miss has not take taken the foot off the gas against any program and and we've gone from playing Florida I mean and Clearly, Kentucky's not bad. 
because they, I mean, they took it to Mississippi State last night. I mean, they did. They beat them twenty-four to two, and we'll talk about that later this week. So Ole Miss has not played bad teams. They haven't. I mean, Alabama is a great team, but at some point, you can't give up six hundred yards every game. Even if you're getting 600 yards of offense, that does not excuse the fact. I mean, 600 guys. There were. I mean, I can remember, and maybe I know the game is even different than it was five years ago. You could go two games and not give up 600 yards between the two of them, and now we're doing it every single game. I mean, I and like you said, Nick, the buck stops somewhere, and I won't call. I'll I'll take back me calling the defensive coordinators quote horrible but I don't want to call our players horrible I mean those guys had SEC offers so where I mean what's why is it the third worst or we might be statistically the worst defense in the country right now I can't imagine somebody having worse we are yards per game yeah yeah gotta be gotta be I mean we nobody ever punts against us you know and and Really, we wouldn't have punted again, but we're not on offense yet. We wouldn't have punted really against Alabama last night, but for a couple of you know mishaps on snaps and stuff where we really stopped ourselves. There was one drive in the entire game where Alabama stopped Ole Miss, and it was early in the second half, and um, Ole Miss just went three and out or six and out or whatever and punted. Um, I'll leave it to y'all, but I, I just think that, yes – it's a Jimmy's and Joe's game, but I don't think that anybody, regardless of who your players are on defense, you can have Vanderbilt's talent, and Ole Miss has more talent than Vanderbilt on defense. And I, I mean, we all know that. And you could not give up 600 yards every single game. What worries me is, is even like with Ole Miss's talent, even if you know you agree that they need to, you know, get more players, I agree, especially up front. But even with our talent level, if you coach the dead last yards per game defense in the country, I mean, what is your ceiling? I mean, you can you can't tell me that DJ Durkin can have this level of talent or Chris Partridge or whoever it is have this level of talent dead last in the country and in two years have the top defense or the 15th defense. I mean, is that even possible? Well, the 50th defense. Uh, I mean, what are we, 124th or something? I know that not that many teams are playing, but, you know, for all intents and purposes – we're dead last in the country. We so, are, we're, we're last in yards per game, and I'm, I'm checking on the points per game. But I do know for a fact that we are last in yards per game. Well, we've given up 63, 51, and 40. So you 52-point average? Yeah. And the, the, the yards per game is at 600. The, the points per game, we are – Last in the country at 51.7. And honestly, the next closest team is five points away at North Texas. Now, we've played two top ten teams. We've played probably the, the toughest schedule in the country thus far. But, uh, you know, the, there's well, there's yeah, a lot of I, deficiencies there. I am I'm acknowledging the fact that we played the tough – but, like, we didn't – look, maybe it gets better. Maybe it gets better, you know, but – Arkansas just put up 28 at Auburn. Yeah. 
I just I look at our schedule and I worry that every game is going to be 42-41. And hey, that'll be fun to be it, it, to be, it will you know, be. But I want to make sure we're winning games 42-41 because every, I mean the, the whole entire rest of the schedule every game is winnable. I mean, I, I Texas A&M is probably the toughest game left. Auburn and Oxford extremely winnable. We know MSU is winnable. We know South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Arkansas are winnable. I mean, yeah, Texas A&M is going to be tough, but it's not a defense we can't score on. I just don't want to. I don't want to. You know, look up at the end of the season and we're four and six because we had a historically great offense, but also a historically bad defense. I want. I want to be six and four with those. You know, because we can't waste these guys on offense. The, the offense is unlike nothing I've ever seen before. So I'll say this about the defense because I think you guys pretty much covered it. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to spend too much time on it because we definitely need to to talk about the offense at length in the second half of the show. But to me, I think the the pace and the overall flow of the game uh, ha- affects the defense greatly. I think that that's been a trend in college football over the past like five or six years with the the growth and the expansion of up-tempo of spread offenses getting up and down the field really fast I think that that um, just kind of it, it's almost like a, a defense can kind of get lulled into you know kind of like zombie mode where because here's the thing you guys earlier were talking about Alabama doesn't do this to Jacksonville State or ULM or whoever. I mean, Alabama did this last night because they had to. If they didn't do that, Ole Miss wins. So I don't think it's a matter of – That's right. But at some point, you've got to get stops too. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, and that's part of my point. You know, Ole Miss gets a stop if Ja'Cory Hawkins can catch a fucking football. Yeah, no kidding. Um. They get a couple stops if they make some tackles at the line of scrimmage. Um, And that's all part of it, and that's part of Najee Harris being a really big, physical, talented running back, and and Brian Robinson ran the football well. Um, But, yeah, I think a lot of it is is the flow of the game and the way the offenses were going back and forth, and that was just kind of what it was that night. Now, it was kind of like that in the Florida game, not to this extent, but it was kind of like that. Kentucky wasn't, though. Kentucky, I thought, had a really good game plan and ran the football extremely well. Their offensive line dominated. I think that this defense is is not going to get better immediately. Now, I do think the schedule is much easier now. Ole Miss has played against their two toughest opponents and probably the two most talented offenses outside of Ole Miss in the SEC. Um so it'll be interesting to see how this defense does against other teams that aren't as up-tempo as Florida and Alabama. Um, I, I, I'm still waiting. I'm still going to wait. Like I don't want to immediately go into fire the defensive coordinator territory just yet. Um, because, yeah, the defense is, is just incredibly bad. I mean, legendary bad. Um but it's three games into the season in a COVID-abbreviated season. So no full spring practice. I'm sure fall camp was not a real fall camp. It's it's a weird year. It's a weird – everything's weird. But not making excuses for them. They have 
absolutely got to tackle better. They have got to uh, get some. I mean, they, they showed signs. Uh, you know, it, it was almost last night we were texting during the game where I said that Sam Williams had loafed the entire game and then he pops up and gets a one hand sack. Um, but you need more of that. Like, that's you, you can't have your biggest impact dudes up front, especially up front, taking plays off. It can't be, oh, well, I got a sack, so I'm, I'm straight. I can, I can just coast this next drive or, you know, these next couple plays. Like, no, like it, it's got to be brought every, every game or every play, I should say, because when the, front, when, when the front doesn't get any push and they're not sucking up blockers, then the, the offensive line is moving to the second level and they're just washing out everybody. So when Lakia Henry and Momo Sonogo, yeah, they're not super fast, but they look even slower because they're having to fight off a guard or a center that has moved to the second level and has gotten a piece of them. So it just it's just a ripple effect. It's just a domino effect of when the defensive line is doing nothing, then it just affects everything negatively. So that's my biggest takeaway. Like, look, I... It, it was frustrating at times because, yes, like you want to stop. Uh, now, I mentioned the Hawkins dropped interception, which, of course, the next play they go deep and, and get down and score. Uh, that's just the Ole Miss football experience. Um, but, yeah, you get a pick there. Um, you know, maybe Tarikius Tisdale trips up Najee Harris at the line of scrimmage on a third and medium. You get off the field there. You force Alabama to punt. I mean, that's that's kind of where Ole Miss is right now. And I we 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 make the Jimmys and Joes reference a lot. And I do think there's some there's some credence there because you saw it last night as there started to some fatigue started to settle in. The Jimmys and Joes for Alabama took over. Here. And and now Mac Jones was still throwing the football. He only threw it 32 times. It wasn't like he was, you know, throwing it 60. What did Alabama do last night when they they saw a little bit of a uh, now <laughs> a little bit of a chink in the armor? There was plenty of holes in the defense, but they leaned on the running game. They gave the football to Najee Harris, and they just leaned on Ole Miss until they went to sleep. And that's that's a Jimmy's and Joe's thing because Najee Harris is a five star, and then across the board, Alabama's got five and four stars up front, and they just swallowed up that that front seven, and just leaned on them. So that's where you need those impact dudes up front. You need those guys to be able to make plays to get stops. And for me, that's the that's my synopsis of the defense after last night. Other than that, I mean, it was a absolute joy to watch. Yeah. I- I, you're you're exactly right, and I, and I went through and kind of looking at some some stats while you were you were talking. And now this is obviously not updated from last night's games, but Alabama is the number one offense in the country according to Bill C. Uh, Florida is the number nine offense in the in the country according to Bill C. Now maybe part of that from Florida is because they played us, whatever. But LSU is 19, uh, and I think that's probably based a little bit on on the fact that they played Vanderbilt uh, through two games thus far this season. And, and MSU is 27. Past that, there's not a, a, a team with an offense in the top 35 the rest of the year. So I think I think at this point, you know, we know what we've got on defense, uh, which is to say not a ton. I, I think you just want to see continual improvement because you're not going to face, you know, the best offense in the country again this season. And you're not going to face an, an offense with Kyle Pitts. Right. And and uh, Kentucky's offense is not great. They're just 53rd, which, you know, kind of scares me a little bit. But they were they played Auburn, 
in their first game who, who has a pretty a pretty good defense. So, but you're not going to face outstanding offenses the rest of the year. So at this point, just you go to Arkansas and you want to see a little bit of improvement. You want to see, you know, thus far this season we we've only forced four punts. If we could force four next week, that would be an improvement. And maybe the next week you force five. So, I mean, just a little bit of improvement every week. I mean, if we could get four stops in a game, we got three Kentucky and then I believe one fumble. If you get four stops in a game, we're probably winning that game. So I think that that's got to be the the goal of Durkin to say, look, if you guys don't want to play tough on every play, maybe we don't have that, that type of energy or depth or whatever to, to, to go all in on every single play. Maybe we've got to go all in on four drives a game and do whatever we can to stop them four times a game, just 12 plays and get four, three and outs. And if we do that, we win the game. So it's just little things all year long. We're going to play a ton of offenses that aren't, aren't great. I mean, I've watched Auburn play three games. It's not a great offense. Arkansas's offense, not great. Uh, South Carolina's got Sha Smith, but they, they don't have a ton on offense. I mean, MSU, I, I guess has got some receivers, but not really. I mean, they're going to force a lot to turn over or, or turn the ball over a lot. And here's another thing to consider that, you know, we're going to get to the – I was going to bring it up in the second segment, but I'll just tease it here. <laughs> two of the first three games were against the other two most efficient quarterbacks in the conference next to your guy. I mean, you're 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 getting to play Felipe Franks. You're getting to play Kellen Mond. You're going to eventually play KJ Costello, Will Rogers, whoever Leach plays at quarterback. Um, Bo Nix. I mean, you're going to get to play these dudes that are not as efficient, and they're going to make mistakes. So that's another thing to think about. Is okay. Yeah, the defense is bad. They have to improve. They've got to get better. But I mean, Mac Jones is going to do this to everybody. And you mentioned Kyle Pitts, and I just mentioned Kyle Trask. Kyle Pitts is going to shred everyone. So that's another thing to consider here. And it's it's good that this is front-ended. I mean, this happens in the beginning of the season where not only is it over, you know, you're through the tough part now. Now you can you can kind of sit back and like, okay, all right, we got through the we got through the shit. Now let's let's buckle down and let's get through this the, the rest of the season because you're not going to face a dude like Mac Jones or a dude like Kyle Trask. So um, that's another thing that I think is, is, is incredibly important to consider and have some, some context here as you move forward and take a realistic look at where the defense is. Well, I do think, and we can leave it here. If we want to go that route, if we want to say, well, and it's true. I mean, they Ole Miss has played the two best teams that will play this season and the two best offenses that will play this season, including the best offense in the country. That That is a fact. But if we're going to go that route, then there has to be – this is not – there needs to be. There has to be marked improvement going forward. Otherwise – it's going to be very difficult to sell the fact that schematically we're doing things correctly. I mean, it, otherwise, because if there is no improvement between, because I didn't notice, I mean, yeah, I guess there's a 10 point difference between Florida and Kentucky, but as far as, and, and later in the game, Ole Miss defense had some success. I won't say that entirely, but it, Ole Miss is on defense. You have to be able to sell something, right, to a recruit. You have to be able to say, okay, well, yes, if we had had better players than we, you know, on defense, then we could have beat Florida and and Alabama. Um, 
just look at what we did against Arkansas and LSU and Mississippi State and Vanderbilt and and South Carolina. Instead, you can't look the same against everybody. Because if you look the same against Florida that you do against Arkansas or South Carolina, then it's not players. You're not getting beat because of players. You're getting beat because because if you play the 70th offense and the first offense and you look the same against both, then you're just out of position. Then you're just not you're not putting your guys in a position to succeed. So to y'all's point, yes, we do play worse offenses going forward. You must look better against those. I mean, I think I think by nature, typically you do. But if you don't, then you've got to do some reevaluating. You know, and it's not just players at that point. And, and I don't want to be like the most negative guy on the podcast. I just think that's a that's a fair statement for any coach. Like I think it's fair to say that to any coach. That it's not me saying that directly to. If our defensive coordinator <clears throat> was Bill Belichick, I would say the same thing. I would say, look, now you've eventually got to look. I mean, you get, you need to look better against worst comp worst competition. Uh, go ahead. Sorry, well, I, didn't, I didn't mean to derail it, but no, you that's, know, and I that's think fair. By nature, you do, and that's fair. And I, I mean. I yeah. think the coaches would agree. They're like, no, I mean, you do. You've got – we well, don't disagree. Yeah, and that's that's a fair assessment. And look, if this defense is giving up 600 fucking yards to Vandy, then, yeah, we're going to have that conversation but where it's time to – But what if the defense gives up to, 500 to Vandy? Is that well, good enough? No. Again – Like, that's like, the thing you – If you're giving up – if you're giving up – I mean, shit, if you're giving up 400. Because, I mean, Vandy doesn't have an offense that's built to do that. So that's you're either getting completely murdered on the ground running the football, or you just had ninety four busted coverages in that game. So that's like that's what we we need to we need to kind of see. We got here. some. I don't. I don't. I, and this is not me. We've got some new toys for coaching staff, right? And and it's really fun. And we're about to have a lot of fun after the break. So please stay with us. This is not going to be like the most negative. We're going to end on a high note, but. For me, what we have to remember what our standard needs to be or what we want our standard to be. Is our standard to give up even 480 yards to Vanderbilt or 500 yards to Vanderbilt? Or, or let's take Vanderbilt out of it. Is our standard to give up 500 to Arkansas or Kentucky? Or is our standard giving up 400 rushing yards to Kentucky? I mean – if you take the new toy aspect out of it, the shiny new car in the driveway that just had a malfunction because of a spark plug, but you still got a brand new car, well, you know, it's like, well, we'll look past it because our car is brand new. No, you've got a problem in the engine. And so, at, like, they've got to, you, they got to know, and I think this is the tone that Kippen had after the game. I mean, he was mad. I listened to the post game interview with with the Ole Miss radio team he was upset he was like look I appreciate the fans for giving us a standing ovation but and this is me paraphrasing but we didn't come here to do that like we came here to win games whether it's 42 41 or two to three two to one or two to nothing or whatever we came here to win games and you know don't don't feel like this is what we came here to do and that this is okay and and he can't he can't really look at the offense and say, well, it's, it's on y'all. So I'm interested to see what we do going forward defensively. 
if we do get better, I expect us to play better because we are playing work lesser to competition. And I expect that if we don't get better, Kiffin's going to have to make some difficult decisions quickly because either your defensive coordinators need to really, really recruit their brains out or you need to make some big-time improvements schematically going forward or just in results going forward. We wouldn't call schematically. We'll just say results. It's a results business. And if you don't make improvements going forward results-wise or show promise in recruiting, then difficult decisions, will they'll have to be made. I mean, that, that's the name of the game. But anyway, I'm ready to talk about positive stuff, and I'm really excited about the offense, so I'm done. I got it off my chest. I mean, it is what it is. Hey, you know, it's this is this is this is a better conversation to have than to uh talk about a uh, big wet idiot staring at uh bright lights the entire night. Or while we kicked a field goal from the one down yeah, 50. This is much more fun. Um, well, I mean, so don't get in, it twisted. We're defense. still we're still on board. In their defense, I mean, Alabama's beat us like 40 or 50 points a game the last 3 years. So you know, it's not like the defense looks any different against them than they have since 2016 or 15. Yeah, it's the offense that's improved. So I mean, maybe it's unfair of me to do say everything that I just said about them, but I don't. I don't think that they came here. I don't think this coaching staff came here to give up 600 yards of offense, 750 yards of offense. They didn't. No. And if anything, I mean, last last night was an absolute. I mean, the largest billboard you could possibly have for a recruiting pitch. To just say, hey, oh yeah. we, we need we need you. We need help on defense. So this spot, this spot, this spot, you see, you know, this missed tackle, this blown coverage, this missed sack, like that's you. So that's something that is, you know, they obviously weren't doing it on purpose, but they need dudes, and I think last night showed it. So, all right. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk offense, and we're going to talk about the historical night and the historical season that Matt Corral continues to have. So hang with us. We'll be right back. It's Zach again, Podcast Rebellion. To remind you of our lovely sponsors here at the show, If you like New Orleans-inspired cuisine, go see Kelly English and the good folks in Memphis at Second Line or Restaurant Iris for some fantastic food and cocktails. You can also travel down to the coast to Magnolia House in Biloxi at Harris Gulf Coast. Blackjack, craps, slots, southern cooking, cocktails, what's not to like? All three fantastic establishments, part of the Kelly English Restaurant Group. Good food, good people, good cocktails. It can't be beat. That's Second Line, Restaurant Iris in Memphis, and Magnolia House in Biloxi. Speaking of good food, if you're in Oxford, go see Greg and the good folks at LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast, on University Avenue, across from Kroger. Celebrate with the best protein for your almost grilling needs with Greg and the rest of the folks there. And be sure to tell them that Red Cup sent you for exclusive deals and promotions. Remember, the Philly combo is back for just $10 right now, and you've got your lunch specials. 11 to 3.30, Monday through Friday. That's LB's Meat Market on University, across from Kroger. Arby's is full of shit. LB's has the meats. Speaking of Oxford, if you're looking to get some libations going... 
Be sure to check out Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery. It's a quick little eight-minute drive south of Oxford on Old Taylor Road, and it's the only spot in the Magnolia State for a true grain-to-glass gin experience. The space is fantastic. Chan and the rest of the guys there are doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, go there, get a tour, do a tasting, or you could do both. Inquire about maybe renting it out for a private event, maybe a anniversary, a wedding reception, a rehearsal dinner, something. The place is amazing. That's Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery in Taylor, Mississippi. And be sure to follow them on Instagram for all their latest updates and uh, comings and goings there at Wonderbird. Speaking of libations, if you're in Memphis and you're looking to stock the cooler this year, Old Dominic on South Front Street is your place to go. Just like Wonderbird, you can go there for a tasting, for a tour, or both. And be sure to check out the rooftop bar, which is super awesome, has some great views of downtown Memphis, of the Mississippi River. Uh, you can try their Healing Station High Rye Bourbon, the Memphis Toddy, the Memphis Vodka, or the new Honey Bell Vodka. You can get it all there or at your local package store. So celebrate with that Healing Station bourbon, a very small batch high rye bourbon by the folks at Old Dominic. It's a bold classic whiskey with notes of stone fruit, dark cherry, and just the right amount of spice and heritage that dates back to 1866. You can enjoy it neat or even in your favorite cocktail like an old-fashioned. It's got a mash bill of 52% corn, 44% rye, and 4% malt. Healing Station stands alone in its category of high rye bourbons. So you could do that or you can enjoy a quick taste of Memphis Toddy before the game this weekend. And then you can wind down with that Healing Station afterwards. So, like we always say, ask your, pa- ask, ask your package store where you can find Healing Station by Old Dominic. And, as always, OD encourages you to share SIP responsibly. And last but certainly not least, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, make it a Clark Ford vehicle. Corey Clark and the rest of the folks in Amory, Mississippi on Highway 25 are committed to finding you a new vehicle today. Be sure to browse their inventory online, request more information about the vehicles, set up a test drive, and inquire about financing all online. If you want to do it a little old school, maybe uh, conversate via telephone, you can give them a call at 662-257-1900 and get in a new Ford today. And we are back here on Podcast Rebellion, Hangover Edition. All right, gentlemen, we have cleared the air defensively. We have set it with our chest. We are done. The, the the negativity is over. Now it is time to have fun. All right. Saw a stat this morning, actually sent to us by our uh, legal gambling counsel, Mr. Austin Gray. So QBR, top five in the country right now. Matt Corral, number one overall, 95.6. Mac Jones, 95.2, coming in at number two. Number three, Stetson Bennett, 93.1. Kyle Trask, number four, 91.5. Trevor Lawrence, number five, 88.5. The best QBR season ever in SEC history is Joe Burrow last year, 94.9. Right behind him, Tua Tagovailoa had two seasons in the mid-90s. Johnny Manziel was low 90s in 2012. Cam Newton right at 90 in 2010 when Auburn won the whole damn thing. 
For context here, the best Ole Miss QBR season was Chad Kelly in 2015 at 86.9. Matt Corral is almost 10 points higher than the best ever QBR season by arguably the best quarterback in Ole Miss history. Hot take, I know. The best ever QBR, I, I believe, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, since the stat was created in 2004, is Kyler Murray 95.4 in 2018 when he won the Heisman Trophy. So, that's four Heisman Trophy winners in there, and Matt Corral is better than all of them through three games. Now, I know it's only three games, only three weeks, but we cannot speak on this. We cannot uh, we cannot give him any higher praise right now through not only three games, but through three games and two of them being against, in my opinion, the East and West champion. I mean, right now, Matt Corral is just an absolute dude. Yeah, there's no doubt one of those was against the West champion. Now, I guess maybe an argument can be had, Florida-Georgia. No doubt Alabama's winning the West. And the top 10 defense. Now, maybe the Florida defense is down a little bit. That's a very good defense uh, in Alabama. And I just hate looking at that thinking, what if he sets the all-time QBR record at 95.6, he beats out Kyler Murray, and we're 5-5? Five and five? I mean, I, I can't – that's a fate worse than death, I feel like. Well, that – you know, you you got to hope at that point that he comes back, you know, a year and then the next year. Uh, guys, I think he's – well, I mean, it, it says right here, he's playing the best quarterback that we've ever had. Like, he's having the best season for a quarterback thus far through three games that we could possibly ask for. I don't remember somebody playing this well. I said it through after the Kentucky game. I don't remember a quarterback playing eight – perfect quarters of football like he has and now it's 12 i mean guys we have one turnover on the season it's bad at interception at the line of scrimmage yeah. otherwise he doesn't have an interception on the year and what is his qbr at that point yeah probably like 97 I, how many times did he throw a ball last night that you were like as soon as he threw it you're like what does he do oh 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 the guy catches it for 17 yards like as soon as it gets out of his hand you're like oh that's almost intercepted and he and, well, and in hindsight, it wasn't almost intercepted. It was a perfectly thrown pass. You just It's a vantage point thing. But that happened so right. many times. He threw a perfect ball. Well, that's – I was going to say that. I'm glad you mentioned that, Nick, because that reminded me. This isn't a Phil Longo, Jordan Tiamu skewed stat line where you're just chunking it 50 yards and DK and AJ are just going and getting it. Like, Matt Corral is – and now <laughs> – like last night, like that, I know exactly. Like probably the play that you're referring to was that in route. It might have been just kind of like a little shallow post that Elijah Moore ran. Dude was draped all over him, and Matt Corral just put a dime on the money, and it was just like you're like, whoa. I mean, to borrow a line from my good buddy Alonzo Harris, you know I'm surgical with this bitch. I mean. It was incredible to watch him maneuver and work. I mean, the dude is just out there just it's just shape shifting. I mean, I thought the offensive line, you know, obviously Sands Ben Brown's two miscues and look, he's playing a new position, wet conditions, whatever, bummer. We're moving on. I believe the only sacks that the offense gave up were at the very end of the game. 
I mean, Corral is evading the rush. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with his pocket presence. Right. Yeah. I mean, absolute just Joe Cool back there. I mean, sliding in and out, using his legs. I mean, there were a couple times last night where he not only outran, but juked some legit guys for Alabama. Yeah, I'm not I'm not calling him Johnny Football, uh, you know, as far as, like, the way that he moves around because Johnny Football kind of uh, – Johnny Menzel kind of, you know, ran with the – the ball was flying around everywhere in his arms like he, you know, was carrying it one-handed. Corral is becoming very much the closest thing we've seen to that as far as, ev- you know, just evading – uh, defenders. I mean, he he broke a lot of tackles in the backfield last night to roll out to find somebody in the flat. I mean, he played so well. God, I, I can't. Eventually, I'm gonna stop saying like he has to come back down to earth because he just keeps doing it. I mean, he just keeps playing well. Well, that you know, I was gonna say it just shows the maturity of Matt Corral because he's not he's not like running for his life or completely panicking like he's 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 evading pressure and moving he's climbing the pocket with purpose like he's keeping his eyes downfield like he did it a couple times last night there were a couple throws that sidearm throw to Drummond on the sideline and then the the one late where he moved to his left and then found Elijah Moore wide open um I mean it's just a night and day difference in, in how he carries himself in a game and and like he's not taking he's not making stupid throws he's not taking you know crazy shots in traffic I mean the one he threw you know that was you know picked off but obviously wiped out because of the penalty I mean that was a smart throw he saw that Yaboa was getting held and he threw it to get the flag I mean just that's just an absolute 100 the jump jump pass yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. I mean that was that, that was a smart heady play I mean that's just a complete 1,000% 1,000% reflection of Jeff Levy and Lane Kiffin coaching right there. Yeah, they are they are quarterback whisperers. There's nobody in the world that has benefited from a coaching change more than Matt Corral. Nobody. Oh, my gosh. And, and I mean, his future has benefited. Guys, he, he, he looked downright bad last year. Think about think about what we looked like against Memphis last year. Mm-hmm. And now, now he is – a premier, he is an all-American candidate. I mean, he is. Yeah. If he continues playing at this level, and Ole Miss puts up historically good offensive numbers like Ole Miss is doing right now, even though the team, he could be like a five and five quarterback getting invited to New York. <laughs> he would deserve it. Well, the, he I would say that he would honestly deserve to win it right now. Think about where I mean, he'd be a, just now. I know it's three games in. You know. Shit, shit can go crazy. Whatever. Anything, yeah, that's right. That's with, right. Anything can happen with COVID. Knock on wood. But you know, if Kyle Trask and Mac Jones aren't in the conference this year, and I know that that's you know devil, you know not devil's advocate, but you know best case scenario. But I mean, he's a runaway first team All SEC guy. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I I think he's better than Mac Jones, having seen them in personnel. I do not think. I think Kyle no, Trask is the best passer that. I've seen. I don't mean not 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 a knock on Mac Jones, but I mean he, he has really really good receivers. I didn't see anything from Mac Jones last night that I didn't think that Corral would do with ease. I mean, I I think that he's just he's a good quarterback on a very very good offense, and that you know that's a lethal combo. But 
I also think you got to add, you talking about Levy and, and Kiffin and, and whoever brought in Kenny Eboa has got to have some yeah. credit because, I mean, that is a big time get. Where's the offense? I don't I mean, I love Corral. I mean, he's been great. The play has been exceptional. We're, we're not the same offense if we don't bring in Kenny Eboa and get him, you know, trans, get him eligible immediately. If he's. I, well, I mean, Elijah Moore had. Uh, yeah, and Moore had 11 catches, and, and nobody else had more than one other than Eboa, who had. Seven for 181 in the long of, of that touchdown up the, up the seam for 68 yards. I mean, without Yaboa, you know, the, there's, not, there's not a ton there after Elijah Moore. But bringing in Yaboa was a huge, huge transfer. And, I mean, that just goes to show that they, they loved what they saw and they thought they could get him the ball. I mean, I mean, I wish, you know, we could have a guy like him. I wish he was a freshman because he was exceptional last night. You know, I, I've never seen an Ole Miss team utilize the the let's misdirection back out in the flat, um, Elijah Moore, you know, out in the flat as much as we have now. It really, it was really the what keeps us in games because if it's Levy or Kiffin or both, uh, we'll just say it's both. We throw it to let's say Ely, you know, ten yards towards the sideline or, or more, or even Snoop Connor, and they catch it and run 12 yards before they're touched by somebody. And that's just so hard to defend because, and here's why, because if, a, if you bring a linebacker up to, to cover the flat there, then you've got Yaboa going across the middle one-on-one with a safety. And what ends up happening is, is like, um, last night corral, he, Frankly, the safety misplayed the ball, but it was also a great throw on the long touchdown. You know, when he let go of the ball, was afraid nine, I think it was number nine, was going to intercept it. And instead, you know, he lays it in there perfectly, and Yaboa's running free because the safety went for the interception rather than uh, the tackle. Um, it's everything Lane Kiffin does has a purpose. I was sitting with an Alabama fan last night who was the biggest Lane Kiffin proponent. <laughs> um, uh, last when he was the offensive coordinator at Alabama, he loved him. I mean, he's like, man, I'm telling you, he is an absolute offensive genius. And he's like, because there are plays Lane will run, for example, where we'll run. I don't want to call it an RPO. I would, I'll just call it a play action pass because I, I've not gone back and watched the, the game or anything. And I was watching it, you know, from the stadium. And that's just a different view. Lane will run a misdirect, some misdirection where let's say he brings Elijah Moore and not to get too technical on a podcast because, you know, it's hard to picture Elijah Moore comes in motion from left to right back into the backfield. Okay. So now you've got Ely on the left, Elijah Moore on the right and, or let's say Snoop Connor on the left, Elijah Moore on the right. And he fakes to Snoop Connor a bunch, sends Elijah Moore that direction like on a swing route, fakes to Moore has more, or fakes to Connor has more going left behind where Connor was, like going out, you know, just like a a swing, and then you've got Yaboa kind of going across the middle of Mingo going downfield, and so you fake that a lot, fake that a lot, and throw it to Moore a lot. We run that play, or some variation of that. It may not be the exact look, a lot. We throw it out to the out to the in the back of the, you know, a lot, and then last night. He just hands it to Snoop Connor on fourth and one, and it's six or forty yard run, like, wow. and nobody's over there, and he's running free. 
And so, you know, Alabama got, it looked like they were starting to jump that pass. I mean, one time they, they ran it and my dad looked over, he goes, if we run that play again, they're going to pick six it because their linebackers were coming up and it was, I mean, Corral made a great throw and we completed it, but you know, they were one step from taking it to the house. And so Kiffin, it's just an incredible, he'll, he'll run the same thing over and over and over and over. And then boom, he, he runs a variation off of it and it gets a 40 or 50 yard gain. We haven't had that, man. We haven't had that in how many years? We certainly didn't have it under Rich Rodriguez. He he was terrible in hindsight. But, you know, what's it, uh, Longo didn't do that. Freeze didn't really do that. You know, it's the first time we've had exceptional play calling, maybe in my lifetime, honestly. I mean, I, I don't remember anybody doing this as an offensive coordinator. <laughs> well, I'm going to throw some numbers at you since we're – we're running through this here and, and talking about how impressive it was. So through the first three games, Lane Kiffin's offense is averaging 573 yards and 41.7 points. Like, look, it's I don't look. We talked about the defense in the first part of the part of the show. With those numbers, like I don't care what the defense does, it's going to be really hard to lose. Um, Against Alabama and Florida. Now, I know Florida lost to A&M on Saturday. They, maybe they don't win the East. I still think they got a real shot. I think they can score on Georgia. Against those two teams, 1,260 yards and 83 points. I mean, what this offense is doing and what Ben is saying, or what he just said, I, I think that's exactly right. I, I thought the exact same thing last night. They kept running that that motion that into the backfield swing pass <clears throat> and I was like this is this is just setting something up and it was kind of eerily similar to the shotgun little toss sweep that Hugh Freeze loved to run and they'd run it over and over and, over, and it was just you know barely getting back to the line of scrimmage and then boom fake it and then Evan Ingram's running free downfield I mean that's it that's what good play callers do. I mean, you, you're the word you used, Ben, was perfect, like purpose. Calling plays with a purpose. Like that's, that is the difference. That's the marquee difference between a mediocre to good play caller and an, an elite play caller. And that's what Lane Kiffin and Levy have been doing all season is setting things up and they're just shredding people. Um, some other notable numbers that jumped out to me. Uh, look, we... Uh, our, our good buddy Grayson Weir and I took a look at the thunder and lightning uh, combo that Southern Cal had back in the day with Reggie Bush and Lindell White. And, you know, we talked about how Snoop and Jerry Neely can be that. And we prefaced it with, look, those two dudes played in the NFL, one won a Heisman Trophy. They're very, very good. Like, we're not saying that that's what Snoop and Jerry Neely can be. But against Alabama, these two dudes combined ran the ball 40 times for 248 yards and four touchdowns, averaging 6.2 yards a carry. Can't get any much better than that. Um, we already talked about Yaboa, almost 200 yards receiving, two touchdowns, averaging close to 26 yards a catch. Elijah Moore, 11 catches, 143 yards, 13 yards per catch. He is, I mean, at a just absolute sonic 
speed heading towards trying to break A.J. Brown's uh, receptions in a season record, which would be just bonkers if he could do that in 10 games. Uh, team stats, Ole Miss had 17 third downs, converted nine of them. Here's the big one, boys, and everybody make sure you're sitting down. Fourth down efficiency, 4-4-4. Four, four, four. <laughs> Love it. Uh, total yards, 647. That's the most given up by an Alabama defense ever in the history of the program. 379 through the air, 268 on the ground. I mean, 13 yards per pass, 4.7 per rush. Um, Alabama actually had more penalties than Ole Miss. It sure as hell didn't feel like it. And uh, time of possession, Ole Miss had it for 31 minutes, Bama 28. Um, what, what, what were the penalty yards, though? Because you said that they had more penalties than we did, but I thought like every penalty had was 15 yards. <laughs> they had eight for 76, and Ole Miss had six for 67. Okay, so that's very t- opportunistic penalty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Coming funny. from the same back judge, I, I it's funny how that happens. Somebody would would review his. I know they all get reviewed after the, um, I, you know, after the game. But the the same the same Alabama fan that I was sitting with even thought they were questionable. Like especially that one pass interference on the sideline because the flag came in so late. And um, he threw you know, it from the like guy thirty-five that was yards there, away too. Got, yeah, I mean they. That guy, he bombed those flags in, and it's <laughs> yeah. like you know, every now and then you get, you get that um, referee who's just really on top of things. You know, like he's just such a good referee that he just sees every penalty and ca- throws the flag every single play because he's just so good. And I feel like that's what happened with that guy last night. He just sometimes referees can let the game spiral for them when in reality everybody just wants to watch them play. And, and if it's an egregious penalty, yeah, call it. But if it's like that pass interference where, you know, they're both fighting each other or there's nobody touching at all, just let them play, man. The better team will typically end up winning anyway. You know, unless unless you see guys just literally tackling defensive linemen before they get to the quarterback, yeah. it, you could call hold every single play. I mean, why would you? You know, that's not the purpose of the rule. Like, you, at some point, you've got to look at it and say, you know, the purpose of this rule is for somebody to not gain an advantage holding a defender that leads to a big play. But, like, when a guy gets a two-yard carry, I mean, you don't have to call holding because yeah. the defense stop. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's dumb. To me, uh, that's just dumb. Well, and last night there was a play where – and now, correct me if I'm wrong. You guys might be like, "What? What are you talking about? This happens every game." But there was a play where we we got called offensive pass interference on the guy who was not targeted. So I think we threw it to Elijah Moore, and the pass interference was on Yaboa. And now, unless they just wrongly said 84 instead of eight, which I guess is possible. No, uh, that one was a legitimate flag. But I mean, what was he doing? I didn't even see that. Well, it's bizarre. It was a pick play, and Yaboa made no attempt to look like he was running a route. So he picked the guy. I mean, yeah, he was. They were running a mesh, and he crossed and just completely stopped and okay. just nailed the dude. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't that an illegal pick and not pass interference? Like, shouldn't they have said number eighty four pass interference illegal pick? Well, I don't know if that's in the official rule book, but okay. But yeah, that that's, that one was that one was legit. Now the one they and called, then, but then on, later on, yeah, we had guys guys hand fighting. The guy didn't even make the reception, and they called it on us. I mean, that's a double whammy. Yeah. 
that one was was incredibly bad. The now the illegal like uh, the illegal blindside block to call on Elijah Moore was so damn weak. He barely even threw his shoulder into the guy. He ba- he didn't even knock the guy down. I mean that's the equivalent of just you know basketball screening the guy. And then I thought the pass interference call that Ben was just talking about on Kedron Smith was so weak. Um, I thought both dudes were hand fighting. I think you let that. That's a no call. Matt, they kept bringing in Matt Austin on the telecast, and pretty much every time that Ole Miss had a penalty go against them that we all thought was questionable, he agreed. So, and look, we're not blaming the officials for what happened, and you know the final result. We're obviously smarter than that, and so are you. But um, you, the listener, I should say. But yeah, I mean, it's just. There were some egregious calls, you know. Uh, I mean, I thought in some in, in no big third-down scenarios. No we- well, I was going to say big third-down scenarios, Najee Harris running off tackle, and we had dudes just getting completely undressed by the tight end and the tackles, and they're not even – they're swallowing their whistle and, and holding the flag. It was bad. Yeah, I mean, in no way are we saying that the referees are the difference in that game. That's not – you know, I, w- I would never blame a referee on on the difference in a game unless it's you know down in crunch time. Because there's always things that you can do to to be better. You right. can later in the game hold yeah. them to more than one punt, or you know there there are things that that can happen. Now I I will say you know having third down penalties as frequently as we did yeah. is a little sketchy. You know, because yeah. it always seemed that w- they only called a penalty mm-hmm. on third down. Mm-hmm. So, I guess four to two. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, and I'm not saying that, like, referees are quote-unquote out to, against, to get e- any team. Like, I don't think that they go in there. But, you know, at some point that does look weird, especially when it's coming from the same referee the entire game. Mm-hmm. You know, um, um, but – that's part of it. And if you're bet like in, in 15, 14 and 15, you know, we beat Alabama cause you know, you, it's not like it's impossible to beat them is what I'm getting at. The referees, whether they, you know, do or do not show bias, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not big on that to say that they do Bama bias or whatever. I do think that, you know, there is, I just want it to be a level playing field. That's all. And um, I think that I think that you know last night whether they call every every questionable call in Ole Miss's favor, you know Alabama may not win sixty three to forty eight. I don't know that Ole Miss still wins though. Right. Last couple things here, guys. Y'all were both there. I thought in you know limited capacity. I thought the atmosphere was great. I thought the crowd was extremely loud. They were into it. The student section was packed. They stayed the entire game. I mean, I dodged a huge bullet with the weather working out. We were all thinking it was going to be the complete opposite of that. But, man, I thought the crowd was, was electric. I thought they were into the game. They were loud on, on you know when, when Ole Miss was on defense despite never getting a stop. Um, so, I you know, big shout-out to the folks that uh, made the trip and – um, didn't sit on their hands the whole game. You know, what you get in these 
limited capacity crowds are the people that want to be there the most. So it's going to be your typically your loudest fans anyway. Also, a huge student crowd. We had bigger student crowd last night than we did in a lot of games last year. Yeah, they sold. That was about, I would say it was close to 40 or 45% full. And it probably because if you looked at the rest of the, the sections, I mean, behind behind me, I was sitting on row 48, and there was literally two people behind me in 15 rows. So I, I think that maybe some students bought regular seats or had their parents you know, tickets and then migrated to the student section. But the rest of the stands weren't full. If anything, I don't know that it was a, a complete 16,000-person sellout. And I the fans were into it the, the entire game. The student section was into it. I mean, it's different not having your cheerleaders on the field and you know, there's not as much crowd engagement, I guess, maybe on, on the Jumbotron as normal. The band doesn't play pregame. And so it's it's kind of tough, especially pregame, to get going because you don't have, you know, the hey song, right? As the team's taking the field to kind of get everyone hyped up and you don't have that big crowd. But I mean, once the game got going, I mean, and that offense is gonna be like that all year long. It's gonna get you excited. It's it's a lot more fun to play in the forties than it is to play in the teens, you know, especially from a crowd standpoint. And that helped a lot. The crowd was exceptional. It also helps that we don't have as so many announcements. One thing we did under Ross Bjork was we acknowledged every single person who'd ever given a dollar to Ole Miss, yeah. and they got to come. The only one last night. Huh? The only one last night was military. That was the only one that it. I can remember. That's it. Yeah. All right. Um, fun game. It was a loss, but as we talked about, Ole Miss is, is they're, they're through, through the darkness and headed towards the light after – playing their two toughest opponents in Alabama and Florida. I, I would venture to say the toughest games on the schedule remaining would be A&M and Auburn. Look, Auburn just because of history purposes, but yeah. That's it. In, can, in I, that route, can I maybe. say one more thing? I, I don't believe in moral victories. No, I don't back. either. We're back. I'm yeah. just telling you, like, it, it does not feel like any game we walk into now, we have a puncher's chance. <laughs> Don't look, listen guys, to Tom McShane. We threw haymakers. We threw hay- <laughs> yeah, we're back. Uh, look, we threw haymakers to Alabama for basically four quarters. Yeah. We're two bad snaps from that being a tie ball game. Oh, I mean, that bad snap doesn't happen. I think Ole Miss goes up 28-14. And yep, I am, exactly right. I, I am not. I am not not in any way in any way blaming this on Ben Brown I think he's our best offensive lineman I do like that's not me but because people make mistakes and they're asking him to play position that he doesn't he's not a center but but I mean we are very close I I mean maybe we need to get some better players on defense whatever better defense quarter like I said earlier whatever all that the case may be as a whole we're close I don't care what Todd McShay says you don't you don't throw haymakers Alabama and not be close. Yep. It was fun. Next week, Arkansas, huge game. Arkansas has really, really impressed the last two weeks. I'm actually pretty shocked. Um, it's going to be a absolute dandy to see Kiffin and Levy go against Kendall Bryles. And uh, it's ah, best of luck to Barry Odom trying to slow this offense down. Um, it's going to be fun. So that's going to do it for Podcast Rebellion, the Hangover Edition. A little bit long-winded, but, I mean, hell, there's a lot of points and a lot of yards, so we, we had to get it all out. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for tuning in, subscribing, liking, rating us, whatever it is. Make sure to stay in, 
Um, stay in tune on this site, redcuprebellion.com. We'll continue to have a ton of coverage this week as we prepare for the Razorbacks. And uh, we'll have a couple more shows coming to you this week. We'll have our recap slash preview, and then we'll also take a look at week seven and give you our picks. I haven't looked at how we did this week yet. Nick, you might know, or you might have updated the spreadsheet. I have not looked yet. No, don't make me lie to you. It was a late night last night. Okay, I'm going to look after this. So, yeah, I'm 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 terrible. Fade Ben. <laughs> but we'll be back a couple more shows and more content this week. So for Ben, for Nick, I'm Zach. This has been Podcast Rebellion. Thank you all for listening. We out.